Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello there, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. And today we have a real treat. We've got a mother and daughter with us, Emily and Alina Cerebrani. And we're so excited to hear their story about Petaloom. So welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. You want to say thank you to <laughs> Alina? It's going to be a little funny with two, with three of us trying to have this conversation, but we can do it. We have faith. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Petaloom? Petaloom is a gift gifting company for clients, and we offer beautiful plant arrangements and beautiful plants, and we primarily target business audience and the people that have clients. So would you want to add anything to that, Alina? Uh, no, I think that's that yeah. nailed it. Mom got it right. <laughs> um, I love that. I hope my fourteen-year-old daughter is listening. Um, so, tell us a little bit about the background. Like, what? Why? Don't, and I'm going to ask you each. So, Emily, why don't you start? What What was it that you were doing prior to Petaloom? And then I'll ask you each, and then we'll get into why Petaloom. So what were you doing before? <laughs> sure. Um, all right. So prior, I had a different company. Mm-hmm. I had a healthcare staffing company, and we had a lot of clients. And actually, we felt that we want to celebrate the relationships with each client by providing gifts. But there was not much available, or it was not something that I really liked. Mostly, uh, we provided food baskets, gift ba- as gift mm-hmm. baskets, and every time that we would come to, to the client, we would see 10 of these gift baskets. Uh. <laughs> exactly the same gift <laughs> yeah. You weren't the only one Yeah, we're baskets. not the only one. So it wasn't really memorable, and it wasn't something unique, and uh, something that, you know, we would feel that we could leave behind and we can be remembered by the gift. Sure. So uh, we sold the company two years ago and um, um, and I didn't really know what I'm going to do. I, I had no idea <laughs> what I'm going to do. Right. And so I traveled for a while and, um, you know, something like a hobby. I always was interested in design and plants and, you know, floral things. And uh, And it started really just as a hobby. Um, I was very fortunate. I was in Amsterdam, and I was taking floral co- classes. I was in London. I was taking floral classes. Oh, my classes. gosh. Sounds <laughs> yeah, dreamy. Exactly. Exactly. And somehow one thing led to another, and uh, it came to me, oh, my gosh, you know, I always didn't feel good about our you know, our gifts. What about, what about if we're going to do something as plants, you know, something that is more memorable, something that is long lasting. Um, I came back to the U.S. and I took a horticulture class because I said, hey, if that's what I'm doing, I need to know everything about plants. I need to know, I need these gifts to be long lasting. I need these plants to be long lasting. So, um, you know, just one by one, you know, the idea kind of everything started lining yeah, up. Yeah, started lining up and taking shape, and um, that's basically how the idea was born. When you were taking the classes in Amsterdam, 
Amsterdam and London. Did you think at that point, this could be a business? I could turn this into something? Or was it just, I'm trying to get some space between selling my business and figuring out what's next? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, uh, it's so funny because... Um, Actually, the most impactful thing was travel in India. <laughs> really? Yeah. Tell me why. <laughs> it was really, you know, kind of a life-changing, you know, like a lot. Of, I mean, it's almost like a cliche, yeah. right? Uh, but um, a lot of ideas, the same as the name of the company, came to me in India. And um, and then it came, what is that I want to do next? What mm. I, do I want to do with my life? I've been extremely fortunate because... Um, basically, I, I sold the company. It's still a relatively young age. Mm -hmm. And and um, the idea was that what is next for me? I'm not ready to retire. I'm not ready just to do nothing. Yeah. And uh, I still wanted to create. The idea came that I still want to create something. Mm -hmm. Because having a company is like having another child. And my both of my children are adults. Yeah. So <laughs> Do I really want to do this again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, it really felt that, um, you know, yes, I have this in me. I, I want to go <laughs> for one more run. I, I really yeah. feel that creating a company, you know, building a team, and also one of the reasons why, and I know that we're going to get into this, is that, um, you know, creating a community for women, mm -hmm. that was probably one of the factors that came into play in my deciding factor of what I'm going to do next and if, whether it's going to be just a hobby or I'm going to build something that hopefully going to last. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it is going to last. We're going to say it here. It's going to last. Let me ask you one other question mm -hmm. before I turn to Alina. Um, when, when you said I was in India and it, you know, it's it sort of, that's where it spoke to you or you were spoken to. So yeah. you're like, I think there's still something else here. I find it interesting, and perhaps it's because of my years of living and sort of realizing why is it that women at a certain age decide that time's up, that we don't different, – different time's up um, – but that we don't have something to offer when we are most experienced, we have the most amount of cultivated knowledge – we understand kind of other human beings and how to communicate them and those we want to and don't want to communicate with. We're in some ways at the prime of doing something entrepreneurial. Why do you think we automatically think it's time to slow down? It's time to, it, that's for the, the, you know, the, the younger set. What do you think it is? Do you think it's a social thing? Do you think it's something that we're tired? What do you think it is? Um, well, I think it's a combination of both. Mm -hmm. You know, um, even now, some of my friends, uh, you know, I see giving me a look, oh, you're this, at this again? <laughs> I mean, didn't you get tired of, you I know? I get that look too. Yeah, yeah. We can start a club. Yeah, yeah I get that look exactly, too. exactly. Um, aren't you tired of, you know, you, you had your previous company for 20 years. Yeah. Aren't you tired? You know, why are you doing this again? And um, so it, it's really a combination of, you know, um, the social pressure that, you know, mm -hmm. it's not necessary anymore, you know, we're almost, we're not going to take you seriously. 
Yeah. And um, and uh, the age, you know, really, that that's how I feel that uh, it's not just one factor. It's a few. Yeah, it's a few factors. Okay, so we'll get back to that in a okay. second. But first, I want to hear from Alina. Like, so what were you doing prior to this? And then how does it how does it work when mom says, hey, I've got an idea and you're steeped in another profession? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so before this, I was really in a product innovation role. Um, and I had been doing consulting uh, through different agencies and through my own business for almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, a lot of what I was working on was going to large corporate clients and uh, working with their innovation team and figuring out how are emerging technologies going to affect their industry and as they affect their industry, what kind of business opportunities can open up and what kind of um, product or service opportunities really can open up. And so there's a lot of doing research with with, uh, different corporations' users and really doing research into technologies and then coming and uh, seeding that into their innovation teams. And so (laughs) uh, that said, you know, there's something about going from one corporate client to another and coming up with dozens of ideas and seeding all of these ultimately new product lines Mm -hmm. and new companies that makes you think, wow, well, I uh, (laughs) I want to be be doing doing that too. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and actually it must be sort of satisfying to be able to, to do it and then correct what needs correcting, fine-tune what needs fine-tuning. And it's not just leaving that information in someone else's hands. It's being able to constantly cultivate it and grow it, no pun intended, with the plants. (laughs) But but to be able to, to really nurture that in a way that you probably weren't able to do prior. Is that right? Absolutely. You know, it's it's one thing to leave things at the idea stage, yeah. but everyone knows that so much of it is really at the um, at the implementation, at the yeah. growth, at the kind of pivoting when things don't actually work. Yeah. <laughs> and Which is all the time. Yes, yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and there's something also just really gratifying about uh, – Seeing, you know, this particular product is a very tangible product. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the things that I was working on were so pie in the sky. And, you know, yes, maybe five years from now, you know, this store will be all in virtual reality or, or whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah. But there is something about, especially in this particular space, there's something a, so tangible about you're working with plants, but also you're really working, ultimately what we're doing is working with relationships yeah. and we're really working on how do you best nurture a relationship? How do you, you know, provide that experience and that service experience that is really going to uh, make individuals feel cared for? And that's something that's, you know, feels so much more tangible, so much more meaningful than, you know, here's what you can do in the world. It's really exciting and cool, but uh, is whether it's going to actually come to fruition, you don't know. Sure. But I would assume that the skill set that you developed in that, in the data mining and the strategy implementation, in the being visionary and creating things that don't exist or helping to create things that don't exist, all play a role. Is that true? Are you seeing that? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the core components of what I used to do is really 
uh, I would go around and it would usually be to different countries and I would interview dozens of users and really mine also people's own experiences for ideas. And there's there's no better skill set when you're starting a company to really mm. iterate on your product, to really stay connected to what's working, what's not working. Yeah. Let me continue to ask different individuals in different industries uh, so that we can really tailor something that makes sense for each individual. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We we did an interview recently with a, a woman who has a, a, a like a tea, a, a type of tea. And she said that sometimes she just sits as a customer sort of in disguise to listen to how people are experiencing it because then that's how she knows what they need to do in their customer service, in their, you know, the physical space they've created, in the flavor, the taste, the, 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 whatever it is. And that sometimes we don't do that. We're so busy in the minutia of the business that we forget that the customers are the business, right? Absolutely. So to constantly be working on that. Okay, yeah. so both of you come from then an entrepreneurial background. You each had as a consulting, uh, a consultant rather, and as having your own business, you had that. What made you think, I want to do this all over again? Because often either you're a serial entrepreneur, which, mm -hmm. you know, Maybe we can all raise our hands. <laughs> or or you're the kind of person that's like, that was exhausting. I just want somebody else to tell me what to do and to get paid. What made you say, I want to, I want to continue to be an entrepreneur? I guess I, uh, I've been an entrepreneur for such a long time that I don't even know any <laughs> no, other no, way. <laughs> you know? <True>. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I briefly worked for somebody right after college, but yeah. that was... A long time ago. So yeah. it, it was not really an option for me because, uh, honestly, I don't know how to work for somebody. Yeah, no, I think that's a real, that's a real thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for me, it was um, because I really wanted to be engaged and I wanted to create something else. That was the only option that I could think of. How about you, Alina? You know, um, <laughs> I've thought about this a lot, actually. <laughs> and I've thought about it actually in terms of why I don't have any options but being an entrepreneur. And sometimes I think, is it because those are the models I got raised with? You know, I was yeah. always in an entrepreneurial family. And every time I took a, um, a job, you know, I treated it as though it was my company. I always worked 70 hours a week. I always thought, oh, yes, you know, my role is supposed to be this, but I need to make sure that, you know, I, this works and that works. And, you know, every component of this business is working together, all of which, you know, were not my roles and were <laughs> really not my responsibilities. And I think what I realized, and it took me time actually to realize it, is that I really thrive in more dynamic environments where mm -hmm. I can wear a lot of hats. And um, it made me realize, wow, no matter, I, I've been really fortunate and I've had a lot of wonderful jobs and I'm, I've learned quite a bit from them, but I am never satisfied in them. And part of it is because I don't know how to be. <laughs> yeah. I, I have said to that when that question has been posed to me, like I didn't really have a choice. I couldn't find a job that I wanted that utilized a lot of me. 
you know, I don't know if anything utilizes all of us. There's other parts of life to live. But um, I think that's often why we just say, okay, it's not just an idea. Sometimes it's a lifestyle, right? We approach it from that way. Okay, so um, countless books and movies, I just watched Lady Bird with my daughter, um, have been uh, created and have come to fruition telling the story of the mother-daughter relationship and the complexity of that relationship what made the two of you think this was A, a good idea, and B, what did you do? What were the conversations that you had and the questions that you asked each other to make sure that you could have this additional layer to your relationship and things would all be intact? Because this is a different kind of partnership. Um, so, Mom, do you want to answer <laughs> first? <laughs> well, this is probably the most difficult question because... Um, you know, I, I I think both of us had a lot of hesitations. It mm-hmm. was not an absolutely sure thing. Oh yeah, we're gonna. Even though, even though, even since Selena was little, it was my dream to work with her. Oh, how sweet! <laughs> I didn't know how. I didn't know where. I didn't know why. But I always felt okay. At some point of our lives, we're gonna work together. Wow! <laughs> but even with this company in the beginning. Um, I did not know that she's going to join me because, as she mentioned, she worked on some really large contracts. And um, I definitely didn't want just to pull her from those contracts and to say, no, Alina, you you have to go with me into something completely unknown. And, you know, um, so and there was a lot of also hesitation on a personal level because how it's going to affect our relationships, you know, what is it going to be like? What 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 the dynamic between the two of us is going to be like? The decision making factor, how how is it going to be? So um you know, I kind of started the company uh, after I came back from my travels uh, in May. In in May, right at the Get, very end. What's the year? Uh, last year. Okay. Yeah, uh, at the very end of May, and because you know, before you go live, it's an e-commerce company. You need to do a lot of stuff, sure. and. <laughs> And Alina has been consulting me, but there was no conversation about her joining me. And uh, then um, I I launched the company, and uh, it was probably just a few weeks after that, you know, we were just talking, and she said, hey, I'm thinking about joining you. I'm like, really? (laughs) 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 Because she was, she is the most impactful person, even from the get-go of the idea being born and, Mm. you know, very supportive of my hobbies and and just just about everything. And um, and then uh, when we... Finally, and she took probably two weeks to think about this yeah. because I said, hey, you, you think about your career, you know, uh-huh. somehow um, I'll figure this out, you know, yeah. and I really want to make sure that uh, you're happy with this decision and uh, before going into this and you're going into this for the right reasons. And she thought for a couple of weeks and um, I think uh, she put on hold some of her really big projects. <laughs> and um, then she said, yes, I am going to join you. And, uh, you know, just 
to be honest with you, in the beginning, it was challenging. Sure. Yeah, because it was, you know, who is wearing which hat? Who is making the decisions? You know, am I okay uh, with her telling me what to do? <laughs> yeah, that's a role reversal. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Until I came to the point where I actually felt that I have so much to learn from her, mm. you know, because I'm kind of a different generation, mm-hmm. and this is an e-commerce company, and she knows so much more technology-wise than me, and it's such a great combination because my experience isn't something else, and I can handle that part of the business, and I can just close my eyes and completely give her the entire digital yeah. part of yeah. the business. It's and actually a great, a yes, great partnership, Yes, right? yes, yes. And so, yes, and so now I think finally we kind of found our own rhythm, yeah. You know, more or less, we found our own rhythm where, you know, we kind of organically work together and she can tell me that, hey, this is not working. And when she tells me, you have to do this, I actually, I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> now, does that mean there are still places where you tell her what to do? Um, within the company, not yeah, as a mom, I, within I, the I company. Think, yeah. I, I think it goes both ways. Okay. Yeah. So you guys have sort of been able to, and we're, we still have to hear from you, <laughs> but you've been able to find a place where your strengths kind of can rise up. And from that place, you guys can hear what the other person has to say, better manage the company, identify and carve out roles for one another? I think so. I, I, I think what happened is that to a large degree, I was kind of, it was a switch where I put my ego aside, really. Mm-hmm. And um, and I said, hey, she's actually an equal partner. It doesn't matter that I have so many years of experience. It doesn't matter that I'm her mom, because in what she does, she knows so much more than me. And so we are equal partners in what we do. So I'm going to treat her that way. I'm not going to treat her as a daughter. I'm not going to treat her. And, you know, uh, the... So during the business time, that's what how it's going to be. Yeah. But after business hours, then then you know we're gonna switch roles and uh, and she and was go bearing back. the risk too. Yeah, fifty percent of the risk. Right. She left her job. Yeah. She was you know the financial risk was as a partner. So it's not like she was an employee, which would have changed something. Right. Things. No, no, she's not an employee at all. She yeah. she is an equal partner. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, so now daughter. We get to hear from you. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think as as my mom described, uh, there were a lot of hesitations on both of our parts because for all of the reasons that you hear in all of these <laughs> different films or books, et cetera, navigating a new dynamic in your relationship isn't easy. And um, for me, there were you know, conversations that we also had at the beginning as I was thinking about, you know, should I join, which were really around uh, how do we, nothing about this is going to be perfect. We know mm-hmm. it from the beginning. How do we continue to have open channels of communication uh, throughout this process? How do we, uh, how do we make sure that we, um, you know, talk to each other when we sense that something is off. Because when you know someone for a very long time, you're also more attuned, you know, well, you're anyone. Yeah. But 
you're also more attuned to their moods, to their mm -hmm. behaviors. You, you know, you read into things. And so I think kind of taking a step back and saying, I don't need to read into as much, but I do need to make sure that we're always checking in and mm -hmm. we're always actually um, really investing in our relationship and also investing in our personal relationship and thinking about how business bleeds over into personal time, thinking about how on weekends, you know, maybe we shouldn't talk about the business. Maybe we should catch up on a personal level. Um, and also, I think one thing for me has been when you've been in a particular role all of your life, you know, daughter, mother, et cetera, um, it's really easy to box that other person in and really see them in, um, in a certain light. And I think it doesn't give either of you the opportunity to appreciate and expand on um, on how you perceive their identity. And so really being able to say, wow, in certain ways, I don't know this person. In certain ways, I definitely don't know them on a business level. And I also definitely don't know all of the things that they're interested in, capable of. And so let me not box in, you know, hey, I know my mother. I don't know my mother at all. Like my mother is someone who is an evolving individual who I can appreciate and perceive um, on a daily basis. Before all the mothers and daughters who are listening go out and strike up a business relationship, I, I, I just want to point out something that um, you guys have been very intentional and very thoughtful. And even now when you talk about, you know, on the weekends, perhaps we shouldn't be talking about work. Perhaps we should be cultivating this personal relationship and the ability to say, my daughter has something to offer and let me put my ego aside. And maybe my mom is even more than who I thought she was and even more capable than what I thought she was is striking. Um, and I think it's even, even in your story where there's been so much intention, you guys are saying it's been hard. So I just, I, I want all you listeners out there <laughs> to really take good notes on how and on on how um how much wisdom has gone into this and i really really appreciate it both as a mother and as a business person i really appreciate what you're saying so thank you for sharing that <laughs> i want to talk a, a little bit about um the actual business. So we know you both came from an entrepreneurial background. We know you both um, decided to do this together and that it was difficult and how you've navigated that. But I want to go back to, so at the end of the day, you said this business is a business of relationships. We are helping to cultivate relationships, to build relationships, to be memorable to the customers who are receiving these things. And you decided to do this with a plant because it was a hobby and interest. And if I look at the world of gifting, right, it is corporate gifting, let's say. Um, one, why did you decide on that? Was it because of the scale um, instead of trying to sell to an individual person, you could try and sell, you could try and sell a company to buy these. So it's a quantity game. Um, was it, well, answer that first. Well, it, it was kind of a natural choice for me because of my own background, because, because you know, you had bought so many baskets and probably flowers. Exactly, exactly. And that, that's basically even how the idea came around, uh, because, uh, 
exactly. You know, I had a trouble giving gifts to the clients, and these were corporate clients, business clients, and then I talked to many of my colleagues or people in business, and they experienced exactly the same thing. And so that's why I said, okay, this is actually a natural choice for me because I feel that this is the, you know, segment of the market that is has not been, hasn't changed in years. Okay. And, you know, and if we want to start a new company, at least I can go to the segment that I know that has a need. Sure. So this wasn't about providing succulents and plants to the marketplace. This was specifically looking at the marketplace that had a need and then trying to identify how do we help them build those relationships. That's pretty much, okay. yeah, pretty much so. And why plants besides your hobby and interests? Like, did it make sense as a business? So probably in the past it was mugs and, you know, t-shirts right. and right. pens and gift baskets exactly. and perhaps flowers. Why, why was, why did this make sense as a business? Well, if you think about the relationships, they're supposed to grow, right? Okay. <laughs> supposed to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope. And uh, that's exactly the same with plants. Right, it's eco-friendly. Yeah. It's uh, eco-luxury, which was very important for me. The carbon fo footprint that was very important for me, and uh, there is a lot of meaning in giving a plant. Mm -hmm. And so, when I say that, you know, I was looking for meaningful gifts, and also another part, uh, something that is gender neutral. Yeah, you know, that's true. Yeah, yeah because right, right, because um, you know. A lot of times you give this food gift basket because it is very gender neutral, right? And uh, for corporate clients, for business clients, that's what you want. You know, that's what you need. And plants are very gender neutral. Sure. And they're living reminders of exactly. that relationship. Exactly. Unlike a, a, a floral exactly. um, arrangement that at some point is it's beautiful and stunning, but at some point it's not going to last. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That That's exactly the reason behind that. Okay. In a way, it's uh, just to add to that, uh, you know, it's not, it's neither perishable in the sense of this isn't food that is going to get consumed and then forgotten, uh, nor is it what we call stashable, whereby <laughs> this will go in a cupboard and never be seen. Yes. And so, you know, part of it is uh, how do you create something that is a gift, that is a memory, but that's also a conversation starter. Mm -hmm. So if we have an arrangement on someone's, um, on someone's table, what kind of conversation can it elicit from, uh, the people who come to their house? What kind of conversation can it elicit, um, as, and in, in, in that conversation, can that conversation really lead to, uh, maybe a referral or maybe some other type of, um, you know, furthering of someone's business. Sure. And one of the cool things in, in playing around on your site is the, the price ranges. I mean, it's very affordable and then much more, um, I don't want to say extravagant, but a gift that there are levels of appropriateness. So when you're looking at giving mm -hmm. a gift, I think of my husband who is He'll hear about you, I'm sure, um, after this. But he often is giving corporate gifts. Mm -hmm. And you can't give a, a small gift for a big mm -hmm. 
whatever, a big, a big outcome, whatever that is. And conversely, you can't give something that's too big for something that's just a small gesture. Sometimes that feels like, oh, are, am I on the hook for something here? So you, the fact that you have these levels means there are points of entry mm -hmm. for all these different people. I assume that was very intentional as well. Yes, yes, it was. Because like exactly like you said, because this is my world that I came from. This is Alina's world, you know, having clients, having building client relationships and understanding that, okay, you need really to have a price range and the different price point and the different size point. And so in the organization, in a large organization, it can be a gift to any person from to 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 the very top yeah receptionist yeah. to from CEO. the receptionist yeah. to the ceo exactly yeah we're always surprised by the uses for our gifts you know that's a kind of a learning moment for us so you know it, it allows us to say oh people are using these really small gifts as door knocking gifts oh interesting we never thought of that okay sure. how do we continue to develop this range of our products or oh people are using you know, these gifts for large properties when they are in real estate, for example. Oh, how can we continue to, to feed those individuals? And so part of it is, yes, being very intentional about price ranges, but also learning, going back to that listening and mm -hmm. learning from our users about what are the unintended or not even unintended, but unexpected uses of our products and how can we then bring that back and better cater to those uses. Sure. And even um, looking at the packaging, uh, they delivered us some awesome gifts, uh, listeners. Um, uh, we'll have to get a picture and put it on Instagram for you. But even in looking at the packaging of that, I can think of, you could you could leave that with somebody and it's not going to get lost. You know, mm -hmm. th there's, uh, there's opportunity to put a card there. There's opportunity to write on the cardboard. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it seems like you've thought through, you have thought through all of those <laughs> things. Um, I wanted to ask you and Emily, you talked about this early on the, 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 kind of importance of creating that female community. And one of the things that you guys do in supporting female entrepreneurs is that you give a percent of proceeds back. Tell us why that was important. And we'll, we're going to start with you this time, Alina. Tell us why that was important um, as a company and what, what the, well, tell us why that was important. <laughs> so, you know, we, we support, uh, we give 10% of our proceeds to individuals in transition and career transitions and life transitions. Um, and I think for both of us, that's something that really resonated as very important in this company and maybe for slightly different reasons. I'll, I'll let Emily answer, uh, talk about her reason. Mm -hmm. But for me, um, I think that so much of what I have also been working on has been really around the way in which technology um, creates new jobs and also <laughs> eliminates certain mm -hmm. types of jobs. And so much of that has real repercussions in people's lives. I think right now people talk about you cannot expect to have one or two jobs in your career. You usually, the average is five or six. And um, in, in terms of career transitions, it really means that you are continuously learning. You're continuously reinventing yourself. They say that about entrepreneurship as well. Mm -hmm. But um, really thinking about how can 
for both of us, this is a new chapter. How can we support these kinds of new chapters for uh, everyone? And that is for people who are going through chapters where they didn't get an opportunity to have, you know, the privilege of education mm. like we did. Um, that is for people going through transitions that um, have to do with, you know, their own jobs becoming obsolete and them kind of waking up and saying, wow, now what do I do? And um, for for me, especially the reason I speak of technology is I kind of was in a field that was, um, especially in the beginning, very male-dominated. Yeah. And, um, and I've been really interested over time in how do you – how do you support people in in their career choices and how do you support women in particular because um, there are a lot of real hurdles that occur <laughs> during your career, especially at the beginning, uh, especially if you transition into that career. Uh, and I um, and so it was my mom who was really interested in figuring out how can we uh, support women and for me it was really, oh, I really want to also figure out how do you support women in uh, in these career transitions. Do you want to answer as well, Emily? Because I think you have a slightly different. I mean, in addition to that, there were some other things that were important to you about this give back. Yeah, I mean, um, it was probably one of the reasons why you know uh, when you form a company, <laughs> you have a number of whys. Yes, <laughs> it was one of the whys that um, you know I really wanted to give back and I really one of the ways of giving back was I felt uh, and I still feel uh, very much so um, compassionate towards women that are over 40 mm -hmm. um, which is my own age and um, also women like Alina said that might not have sufficient education mm -hmm. and for whatever reason um, they no longer they cannot find a job and meaning that they cannot support their families they cannot support their kids and uh, so our ultimate goal is to provide scholarships for these women so they can be re-educated and they can re-enter the workforce so it's not just giving them money but giving them a profession mm -hmm. so they can use their skills and they ha can have dignity in supporting themselves and their children and what what was it about um, the particular organization or organizations that you have chosen? What was it that drew you to them? And the reason I am asking this question, um, I think a lot of people, a lot of women who are entrepreneurial want to have a give back component. And it's always nice when that is not just a, oh, let me just find an organization and let's just write a check. But when it matches your core value or when um, there's some insight or information you have or life experience that that draws you to that organization, can I make the assumption that in you coming to the United States and starting a business mm -hmm. that you had your own career transition mm -hmm. issues and that that's a that's a part of it, that this is sort mm -hmm. of your way of giving back? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We came here um in 1988, <laughs> wow. a long time ago, uh, basically not speaking the language and uh, with $200. <laughs> and, I love and these stories. Yeah. And Alina was very little. <laughs> so, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, 
I've been extremely fortunate. Just, just I cannot uh, unbelievably fortunate to be able to have the company and to be able to actually we build. Uh, a company with a large group of people and to be able to provide jobs to a large group of people being an immigrant being, you know. And um, so when we sold the company and uh, I came to this decision, what else am I going to do? That was one of the parts of my decision that what else I can create? Yeah. Given my background, given my knowledge, given my skills, what else can I create? I love it. <laughs> Thank you for doing that and for being an example both of you to so many uh, listeners. Um, so now is the time in the in the podcast where we get all of your good nuggets of information and wisdom out for listeners, regardless of what kind of business they have. So I want to talk uh, specifically about this market that you guys attacked, this sort of underserved market. Um, and you said, okay, this corporate gift market needs something like us. Um, and and we want to create meaning and relationship in this. For those people who are listening, what what kind of research should they be doing in in finding if they find, let's say, an underserved or um, a market who maybe has been slightly forgotten? What kind of research should they be doing? And maybe I'll, I'll look to you a little bit, Alina, for that. I think you know the first part of finding a market is that that's it's always a kind of abstraction <laughs> and once you realize oh there seems to be a market there don't there don't seem to be solutions i think part of it is going out and from the very get go talking to individuals and really identifying is this a problem is it because people feel satisfied already usually that's not necessarily mm -hmm. the case but really understanding well, why has this market not been served thus mm -hmm. far? And uh, is it an actual market? And, you know, if, uh, you know, without necessarily creating leading questions, you know, one of the questions in user research that I've always loved is, you know, I talk to people about, okay, well, you know, let me understand some of your pain points. But then at the end, I always say, if you had a magic eight ball, what would you create? What would you make to make your situation easier? And it's kind of a, you find that there's a wealth of ideas and um, interesting feedback that you get that then can start to at least feed your imagination as you start to think about, uh, okay, I have identified that there's an actual problem in this marketplace. And okay, let me start understanding how to think about crafting some kind of solution. Did you think, and maybe I'll ask you, Emily, did you think when you went back to your old clients and you went back to the people who were the corporate givers, did they, did they think there was a problem in the market? Did they, or was it when you brought it up and said, Hey, there's really not a lot of good options. What do you think of this? Were they like, Oh, that's a good idea. Or were they like, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm happy with the baskets of cheese and apples or what, what was the feedback you were getting well the feedback was really oh it's a good idea I you know I can identify with this problem I usually I'm not sure what to give to my clients you know we've been giving out those baskets for a long time a year after year after year and I would love to have something else so it was matching what Alina's talking about yeah. you're we're asking the questions we're asking whether it's magic eight ball questions or asking specific questions about is this a market we should engage in you were 
were getting feedback that was matching that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then I know that you guys did some research and development and sent out plants to old colleagues, clients, friends. What was the purpose of that exercise? Was it to was it to identify which kinds of plants or what price point or or whether we should do this business at all? Um, you know, I think it was a little bit of both because um it was kind of engaging people and so they can see what's available and kind of getting a little bit of a feedback. And for me, uh, I know that I know these people. <laughs> so yeah. it was a little bit biased. So um, I knew that they would say that it's nice. But then all of a sudden they started ordering this for their own clients. And then I knew that, hey, they probably They're like putting this. their money where their mouth is. <laughs> yeah. So what would you say, Alina, to the, the R&D question for all those people listening? What's the, what are ways where you can gather up that sort of research, that sort of um, information that helps you to know, am I either going in the right direction or should I um, abandon this altogether? Like what are some of the things that you asked that you thought were helpful and how would you recommend other people incorporate that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, especially in research, one of the things that you constantly see is there's a very wide gap between what people say and what people do. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. um, that's life. Yes, that's life in is. general. That's not just research. Yeah, absolutely. And even what you what you uh, see and observe. Mm. So you're really always triangulating between those three uh, components in order to try to understand well okay, at the end of the day, you know, you launch a product, are they, you know, everyone says it's great. Does that really mean that they're going to buy it? Yeah. <laughs> and so um, part of starting to to do that is to run small experiments to, to honestly, you know, on the digital side, I've created just landing pages where I experiment with new products or I do ads and see how many people are actually clicking and getting to, I mean, this is a little technical, but yeah, it's no, really is, just, you know, really creating stuff. experiments that allow you to, to, um, launch something in more nimble and, um, you know, <laughs> less high risk ways. Um, so you said something about creating landing pages. Does that mean that it's a good idea to create opportunities to identify what the feedback or just to get feedback that are separated from your brand or um, where where that idea, wh where you as a brand don't feel um, there's there's a there's a disconnect in a good way, I guess. Like you're creating this landing page that has some other kind of plant, let's say, I'm mm -hmm. making this up, versus you wouldn't want to experiment that way with Petaloom. So do you, is that the sort of experiment that you're talking about when you say you create these other landing pages, something that can give you information without affecting the brand that you've built? Yeah, at this point in time, we have been really experimenting with the Petaloom brand and with different industries and how we cater to those different industries. But um, the other side of it is really uh, creating a feedback loop and really investing in following up with every single individual mm. personally and really understanding, was there something we could have done better? Um, how can we better serve you? How can we, you know, 
if we are a brand that is about celebrating relationships and really showing gratitude, how do we best show gratitude for the fact that people are taking a chance on us? Uh, yeah, it's a, it, it is both doing what you say you're doing as a company, but it's also um, taking that sort of time from business, from a busy, busy, busy day to do that speaks volumes to people. Um, their experience in sending the, the plant could have been um, a lovely experience. But then getting that sort of uh, extra care from you and extra interest and consideration is now over the top. Um, I've had that experience where I purchased something and it was like, you know, it was a pair of shoes. I was going to purchase that from this company or that company. But the way the company responded and the timeliness of their response and the generosity <laughs> and, you know, and whatever they offered, all of a sudden it was like, for life now, I will buy whatever from you. So it just takes it over the top, even though for you, you're, you're also gathering information. Absolutely. It's a customer service tool. Absolutely. Because, you know, at the end of the day, what we are providing is a full service experience. And that service is in many ways designed, you know, it's, it's, it's intentional is what I really mean by designed. It's intentional in that how do we communicate this idea of celebrating relationships and gratitude from the moment someone comes to our website to the moment they place their order to the moment that, you know, perhaps it's their client that receives the gift, but, you know, both of those people are your customer. And sure. so how do you how do you kind of ensure that experience throughout? And it's something we're continuously evolving and making better. There's uh, so much wisdom, too, in going to the people that are in front of you. I think we often, f the person who made the purchase is like, great. And then we move on to the non-purchaser, the person we want to get, the potential customer. And we forget about those people who are already part of our tribe or following us or purchasing from us. And so I, I love that because I think even I forget about that sometimes. Um, <laughs> I don't mean even I, I mean I along with so many other people, <laughs> forget about that. Um, when you think about competition, so um, we've used this in the podcast before where if you want to open up a donut shop, your competition isn't just other donut shops. It's anybody who's satisfying a sweet tooth within that one mile radius or in that mall or whatever. So for, for you all, Although for you, you view it as something completely different. Um, it's a living plant. It's it it lasts longer than a than a, a flower arrangement or than perishable goods in a food basket. There's still your competition in that the person who's purchasing from you is going to choose one of them or you. So how do you how did you address that and how do you recommend? Um, our listeners really view their real competition. It's not always just the person selling exactly the same thing. It's it's a it's usually a bigger set of people. So two questions: Who wants to who wants to tackle that? Uh, I think it is always a bigger uh, set of of um, companies that is mm -hmm. your competition than you than you sometimes expect. I remember listening to a pricing strategist actually talk about um, the kinds of surprises that she finds when she asks someone to say, you know, here's a digital frame, for example, um, how much would you pay for this? And people expect that people are comparing it to, you know, 
other frames, other art, etc. But people, because it's digital, maybe are comparing it to an iPad. And so the fact that in the process of asking individuals, um, you know, how they think about figuring out a price and what in their minds they compare an object to in order to understand the price of that object, um, it, for me, is just kind of illustrative of this idea that sometimes the mental models that individuals have um, are quite different than the competition and the markets mm. that you have thought of or come up with. Mm -hmm. uh, and really that you're always dealing with, you know, a whole array of options that consumers have. <laughs> consumers have um and so everything, many, yeah, yeah, everything you know, is available. Right? Everything yeah. is available and they're not choosing between, you know, one plant and one floral arrangement. They're choosing between anything in the world they can give someone else. Yeah. And a steak dinner all of a sudden becomes competition. Absolutely. Yeah. And so really you have to come back and recalibrate and say, well, what am I doing that's special and what am I doing that's different than some of these, uh, some of this competition? Um, and what can I continue to amplify? Because here's what, you know, naturally differentiates me and here's how I can keep pushing that. And would you agree, Emily, in that um, you really had to help customers understand that you're different from the competition and you, ha you, you sort of have had to market that difference and help them understand that difference because there is so much competition, even though it's, an, it's been an underserved space you know, they can think of a million, a bottle of wine, they can think of a million things that are giftable. Did you, do you feel like that's something you constantly have to sort of train up your customers and what the distinction is or the differentiation is between you and another gifting opportunity? Uh, I think absolutely, absolutely. We continuously have to explain to our customers. We, you know, it's not just a gift, it's the experience. And as you correctly said, when you were buying shoes or you're buying shoes mm -hmm. from a particular company, it's not that their shoes maybe are so much different, it's the experience that you received. And that's exactly in our case. It's not just the plant itself, not the vase, not just, it's the experience that you provide to your customers. So that's why, you know, the packaging Pretty much everything goes, custom cards that we have, engraving, pretty much everything goes into that experience. And, you know, just going one extra step to be mm -hmm. different because particularly for business clients, it matters. It makes a huge difference. Absolutely. You know, they they want for their clients to have this experience. And that's exactly how we educate our customers and our clients that this is what we deliver. We deliver not just the plant, we deliver experience. And I would think that it's even important to think about because it's a gift, you're sort of a third party in this. So in terms of branding being both um, obvious but subtle because the gift is from someone else, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's an interesting sort of role to play or, or just a nuance to, to pay attention to. Has yeah. that been an issue that you've had to deal with? Yeah, absolutely. We're still working on this. Yeah. 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 We're still kind of um, adjusting our branding strategy and uh, our gifting as to put our clients first, their brand first, and, uh, you know, to make sure that they are being seen and uh, and we are kind of behind that. Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's something as, you know, for again, for all of our listeners to really understand who, when you're in a third party, like a third wheel right here, right? Mm-hmm. There's a date and you're on the date with them. <laughs> um, how do you, how, how do you play that role wisely? Um, okay. So we talked, we're talking about packaging and not only is packaging important for you guys from a branding point of view, but you have to keep your product safe. You have to keep it fresh. What sort of issues have come up when you've thought about what Petaloom packaging needs to be and how important is that branding, shipping, handling, customer experience in, in the, in the packaging, specifically in the packaging realm? And how would you, what would you say to, again, listeners who are thinking about, okay, how do I package this? I have a consumable good. What, what do I do with this? And how, what are the things I need to pay attention to? Mm. Well, the packaging was probably one of the most challenging parts of putting Petaloom's concept together because, um, you know, I knew from the very beginning that it needs to be um, needs to to be a special packaging, not only because it needs to be delivered in a certain way, but uh, and be safe, but also the entire presentation was very very important. And packaging is a part of this pre- presentation. Getting the special box, unboxing experience, you know, an element of surprise. All of this is a part of the experience. But coming up with the right box was a challenge. I bet. <laughs> yeah, it was really a challenge because I have not dealt with this before in the past. And so um, we brought aboard an engineer who was trying to... (laughs) (laughs) I guess it never stops. Uh, And, you know, our initial idea, because you have to order a large quantity, was that um, we would also use this packaging for nationwide shipping. Mm -hmm. And uh, it didn't turn out to be that way. (laughs) Yeah, it never does. No, no. So what we have available right now is kind of our, you know, it, it's okay because we do hand deliveries, but we're still working and um, kind of making our packaging better so we can do nationwide deliveries or nationwide shipping. So it's it, it's been probably one of the most challenging areas did for you, us. Did you know, Alina, I'll ask you, did you know in advance that packaging was going to be such a large part of the the whole the whole presentation, the whole product, the delivery of the product, or did it sort of organically go, oh gosh, this is a bigger issue than we thought? I think that we knew from the Mm -hmm. get-go, not only because of the brand experience, but also because I think from the get-go, really the idea was we want to be able to serve our clients. Some of those clients are going to be corporate clients. They themselves have clients around the nation. So Mm -hmm. we need to kind of crack this <laughs> this really yeah. big challenge of how do you ship nationwide and with you know with organic plant material <laughs> and with really beautiful ceramic vases and yeah. you know so all of those components we knew from the get-go we really wanted uh and it's really the thing that we've been iterating on um continuously because uh, it's really clear to us that that's that's part of it. (laughs) So it sounds like the takeaway is just to really spend some time understanding the entire experience that your customer is getting, um, that it's not, in fact, just 
the whatever the item is that's being delivered, but it's that whole that whole process and how they're they're receiving it and um and I guess how how it's ordered. So does a certain plant come automatically with a certain in a certain package and depending on where it's being delivered? I mean, those things are sort of like there's a combination that's pre selected. Exactly. Okay. So yeah. the customer doesn't have to make the customer who's the the corporation who's purchasing doesn't have to make that decision. No, although, you know, we we do these extra touches for all of our clients, like engraving and like, you know, creating that handwritten card for them. Um, and then, you know, our cards are also custom designed. So we're really, um, you know, adding all of those kind of elements that they're not necessarily choosing, but they're choosing to help personalized. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Which I, I think is probably one of the most important aspects, uh, especially depending on what the, the gift mm -hmm. is and the gift giving experience. So what do you two do, um, to, that is maybe a shared, uh, habit or app or third party software that you use to stay connected and stay organized. And then maybe individually, what are some things that you like to use, um, to keep you guys organized and efficient and business running, running well? So I guess I will name two. Okay. Um, the first is, uh, I mean, as a team, this is almost like a promotion. Yeah, they <laughs> always are. I feel like we should be getting money from these companies. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we use Slack and yeah. Slack is really, you know, not just in terms of communication and, and almost as a dashboard of everything that's connected to Slack and giving us alerts about what's happening throughout our different systems. But also for me, I'm actually a uh, member of a lot of both personal kind of work Slack teams, but also a lot of global teams. Mm -hmm. And so even the fact that whenever you have some kind of question about something that you've not done, you can actually just switch to a global team and say, hey, marketing channel, do you guys have experience with this? And kind mm -hmm. of mine those global communities, which I find a is a really nice workflow in terms of really making sure that as you're going, you're not going to know all the answers. How do you keep, how do you kind of keep mining the people out there that, that really know? <laughs> uh, and so I think that's one. And then the other is that I feel like I would be ridiculous uh, given, a, given the fact that we do spend a lot of time and do um, focus on relationships. Like our customer relationship management system is a place we spend a lot of time yeah. making sure that, you know, we're really tracking everything that we say to every single individual and um, across, you know, across our whole team so that all of our messaging is always consistent and, um, and we have a really consistent tone and voice. How many people are on the team that deal with customers? It's pretty much four of us, okay. I would say. Yeah. But four different human beings exactly. with different personalities. Exactly. So, <laughs> and this this becomes even a training ground to when we expand, what are the things that we need to make sure we're all saying the same of and and handling in the same way. So it's 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 you say just four, but even four is a lot. Exactly. And then it's only gonna it's only gonna grow from there. So it's nice to start with only <laughs> and how about you Emily what are the what are the apps or the software or just the daily habits what are the things that you like to do that are both shared and independent well um 
as you guessed, I'm last technology inclined part of the member. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't have guessed. You said it. You're the one that said it. You wouldn't have made that assumption. But mine is, um, which is mine, it's Google Maps. I, yeah. I absolutely love and adore Google Maps. That's how I traveled, um, you know, overseas. But also here, I, I do a lot of meetings. I do a lot of uh, face-to-face meetings or presentations. And, you know, to get me even from one part of LA to sure. another part of yeah. <laughs> you really yes. need to use. Um, but uh, in terms of communication, probably Slack, you know, that's that's really great because we can share our functions, we can assign tasks, we can see. And so it kind of creates a really nice workflow. So let me, I want to go back to the Slack thing really quickly. So I've understood Slack as basically these conversations that are being kept track of, right? And announcements and whatnot. But you said something about these conversations, like a marketing Slack group. Is this something that is formed by, you know, degrees of separation, relationships that are one or two or three degrees of separation from you? Or is there within Slack, they've united a group of marketing minds and you can tap into that? So it's it's uh, bottom up in the sense that, it's not Slack that's united the marketing professionals, but, you know, some very wonderful individual has said, oh, I think there should be a okay. global community of marketers, of user experience researchers, of developers. And so, you know, you can really just look online and there are these communities with over 2,000 members become a part of one. And then when you really are stuck or when you're really trying to figure out what is the best practice in one of these types yeah. of functions that I haven't encountered before – just use them. That's awesome. That's we haven't we haven't had that that tip or that usage of Slack. So we we love that. We're going to incorporate that somehow. We'll make a quote out of it or something. <laughs> um, and all of these listeners will be, of course, in our show notes. Um, so so stay tuned for those. So, what bit of parting entrepreneurial advice would you like to give our listeners? I'll let you each kind of have a sentence. Well, um, probably in the very beginning, you really need to have your own support group because mm. uh, it's very lonely when you create something and you're not even sure what you're creating and <laughs> how, <laughs> how people are going to like this. You need to have um, a support group that really, um, you know, will support you emotionally mm-hmm. and um so you can continue to go on with your idea. And as you need to believe in your idea, you also need to be very Mm open-minded because your idea will go through a lot of reiterations. Your idea will go through a lot of changes based on the market response. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a combination of both. Yeah. yeah, be open-minded, but at the same time, uh, be really focused on, you know, what you're trying to achieve. Have deadlines, because it cannot be just <laughs> <laughs> just an idea that you're going to be pursuing for years upon years yeah. upon years. You really need to have certain deadlines before going forward. Oh, I think that's fantastic. Yes. Okay. You're going to try and one-up your mom? or <laughs> You know, in the last, you know, even as I started working with my mom, I've really been observing her and have... Um, I've really come back to this quote that I really love, and I'm going to butcher and paraphrase it because I can't seem to recall the exact words, but it's from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and it's really about um, it helps to be uh, a little bit uh, oblivious or a little bit just, (laughs) uh, just, you know, not just to have 
kind of tough skin, but really to uh, to not pay attention as much. And, mm. and the reason I really like that is because it is so easy to uh, get discouraged mm. and it is so easy to read into situations that may have nothing to do with you. <laughs> mm. And so I think especially lately, I've really been uh, understanding how important it is to decide on the narratives that you want to take away from any interaction, even when those interactions seem like they should be discouraging, it's just as easy to believe the opposite or yeah. to, and not as easy necessarily, but it's just as important to believe uh, that the opposite is true, that, that, you know, this individual really did want to talk to you, but is having a bad day <laughs> that, you know, because you, you do face a lot of um, rejection in certain yeah. ways. And so being able to retrack and really say, you know, I don't have to read into things as much. I can really um, assume the best. <laughs> I love that. And I love the sort of the, I mean, it, it isn't about us a lot of the time, right. you know, and, and sometimes we forget that. Um, but I love this concept of really taking the narrative you want or flipping the narrative and receiving that, you know, Absolutely. hanging on to that. So thank you for those words of wisdom. It's okay. Words of wisdom. Um, <laughs> So we do this fun little thing at the end of all of our podcasts called our quick six. Um, we'll do, we'll do it this way. Um, I'll ask the question and then mom, you answer first daughter, you answer second. So Emily's going to answer first and Alina's going to answer second. So all of our listeners can keep track. So do you prefer a nine to five or a flexible schedule? Um, I think it's both. Okay. <laughs> tricked, you tricked me. Okay. Well, you know, um, when you have a team, sometimes you need to work nine to five. But as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, a lot of times you're working by far more than nine to five. Sure, sure. So, and uh, sometimes you also need to take some time off just to think about the, your idea. So that's why I feel that uh, for most entrepreneurs, it's really both. It's some kind of combination. Yeah. Okay. Alina? Uh, yeah, I would agree. I think uh, I like the the structure of nine to five. I am working between these hours and I'm usually working many more in addition. <laughs> of course. Of course. I don't know anybody who isn't. Um, and then vacation. Do you prefer the mountains or the beach? <laughs> don't say both. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make you pick one. You know, I grew up by the sea, so uh -huh. I love the ocean. But when I came first, for the first time that I came to California, I saw the mountains and I fell in love. Yeah. I really fell in love. So I hate to say both, but it is. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to get you. One of these is not going to be a both. I'm going to say mountains. Okay, there we go. We got, we got an answer. And then do you prefer working from home or in office? Oh my gosh, I cannot say both anymore. <laughs> um, well, I like to work um, in the office, but sometimes I really need some time out. And that's because um, there is a particular idea and I need time alone, mm -hmm. you know, and that that's where I would say, hey, I need to take half a day off, but it's not off. It's me working from home without distractions. Just a different environment. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I would say I tend to like working in an office uh, because I like working with other people, but I do end up finding a corner, which is kind of my heads down time. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to like this second question, but working alone or with a team? Let me guess. <laughs> both? <laughs> well, I don't know how, but it's also, you know, it's That's both. Okay. We'll, we'll let it go. It's because, you know, you need the team to grow the business, mm -hmm. but you need time alone. I need time alone because I cannot develop ideas when I'm doing 20 other things. So yeah. I need time alone and uh, just to process information. So um, I need to be actually, I need to be better about scheduling time alone. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, I think a really good tip that, that entrepreneurs don't do, which is schedule downtime mm -hmm. to think about the business and the bigger right. picture and to let that creativity come. Mm -hmm. it, it, if you're depleted, it's not, yeah. it's not going to be what it should be. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think for, for work, I actually really love working with teams. I like bouncing ideas off of other people that really feeds me quite a bit. Um, I, I almost don't think of this as work, but I do take alone time. So for example, I realized some of my most creative ideas come out when I am taking walks. Mm -hmm. So let me make sure to schedule walks before work, you know, yeah. at 7 a.m. I go on a walk and that is something that is, um, that feeds me and, um, recalibrates what I want to do in ways that is is quite different than the team environment. It's interesting to think of that like as somebody who um, ha is, is employing other people, that that giving people that sort of freedom and that time and that space is really good for the company. I mean, we want to take care of employees as well, but it's also just a great way to nurture people. Absolutely. Because, I mean, also just because none of us are machines and yeah. we are no. <laughs> trying to put ourselves in these boxes, but, yeah. but really sometimes people are far more innovative and productive and, mm -hmm. and able to contribute when they can actually work with their own rhythms as well. Yeah. I love that. Okay. I always say this is the hardest question. Thai or Mexican food? <laughs> okay. This one I know. <laughs> okay. We got one. It's Thai. All right. Does it have to be spicy or any? Um, not super spicy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Good to know. Uh, yeah, I think what you should know about us is that we eat a lot of different Asian food. So I'm going to say Thai as well. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I'm such a fan. So I, I, I totally get it. And then... On a more serious note, this podcast is called Liberty Sessions. The brand is Liberty. What does it mean for you each to be liberated? Well, for me, it probably goes back to coming to this country mm -hmm. and uh, and the reason why I came to this country in the mm -hmm. first place. And, uh, you know, I grew up in the former USSR and mm -hmm. I really did not have as many choices. And I really felt that, hey, I want to have those choices, and I want my children to have those choices. So for me, um, in one sense of the word, that's being liberated, to have your own choices, to control, to have control over your own life. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there are so many important um, aspects of liberty that really relate to opportunities, and those are opportunities that you are aren't born into, depending on where you're born. Uh, 
geographically or socioeconomically, et cetera. Um, and then there are also kind of internal forms of liberty. Uh, and for me, it's really important to think about uh, what does it mean to have a frame of mind that feels grateful for what you have and grateful for the opportunities and the um, and the the kind of gifts that you have um, encountered rather than feeling kind of uh, weighed down by by what hasn't worked out mm. because so much of liberty is also feeling you know the freedom of waking up and enjoying what you're doing yeah amen wow that was great way to way to end it for us ladies thank you both so much for being with us it's been a pleasure to get to know you and to hear your story and we'll all be logging on to petaloom i i know i will um, and Liberty listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. And don't forget to check out the show notes. And until next week, we'll see you later. Bye. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. 